0: Welcome to Stacey on the Right with your host,
1: Stacey Washington. Tonight, it is my honor and privilege to announce that I will nominate Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court. I know the people in this room very well. They do not stand and give applause like that very often, so they have some respect.
2: Wow, so that was a sustained applause and a wonderful reception for Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who has just been announced as the nominee to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court of the United States, left by a retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy. Welcome to Stacey on the Ride here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Uh, It's a a momentous day in our country and for uh, jurisprudence and for um, upholding of the Constitution. I've already seen some stories out there that are are not as uh, complimentary, if you will, but that doesn't mean we can't still plunge forward uh, with Excitement about the possibilities and prayerfully upholding the president and our leadership in this country, uh, upholding them and and asking for wisdom, asking for wisdom for them and for those in the Senate who have to provide advice and consent and to people around the country who are uh, in many different camps, many different camps, some people upset, some people exuberant, some people Uh, really upset because they don't think he's the best one out of the 25. So we're going to delve into all of that today on the program. We're going to talk about how it's Kavanaugh for SCOTUS and the left is still going wild. And we're going to have a discussion about prayer resources because I've discovered a few things and there are things, some of them that I already knew, but grouped together, they make a really wonderful uh, kind of, it's like a little basket of awesome for those of us who are trying to grow in our prayer lives. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, so you just heard the president talking about nominating Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. He goes on a little bit to talk about um, the qualifications and uh, he sung the praises of uh, Judge Kavanaugh's wife and his two daughters. And And it was a really nice um, kind of it was kind of like a softer moment, if you will, because usually, uh, especially of late with the immigration story dominating the news cycle, it's been a lot of negativity towards the president and about the president. So it was just like a nice moment uh, watching that announcement on C-SPAN last night. What's even more interesting was listening to uh, Brett Kavanaugh speak for the first time. Now, I know for others who watch, you know, law clips and things like that, they probably have heard Judge Kavanaugh before. They might remember him from the Ken Starr investigation where he didn't do much speaking, but he was on that team that helped draft the impeachment uh, articles, the report that resulted in the impeachment of President then uh, Clinton. And so it's interesting because that when you think about that, it seems like it's lifetimes ago that Bill Clinton was the president and he was impeached for lying to Congress, not for the acts that he did, uh, you know, extramarital affair and all of that. And so here he is talking about keeping an open mind in every case. It's uh, Justice Kavanaugh.
0: Mr. President, I am grateful to you, and I'm humbled by your confidence in me. Thank you. Thirty years ago, President Reagan nominated Anthony Kennedy to the Supreme Court. The framers established that the Constitution is designed to secure the blessings of liberty. Justice Kennedy devoted his career to securing liberty. I am deeply honored to be nominated to fill his seat on the Supreme Court. My mom and dad are here. I am their only child. When people ask what it's like to be an only child, I say, it depends on who your parents are. (laughs) I was lucky. My mom was a teacher. In the 1960s and 70s, she taught history at two largely African-American public high schools in Washington, D.C., McKinley Tech and H.D. Woodson. Her example taught me the importance of equality for all Americans. My mom was a trailblazer. When I was 10, she went to law school and became a prosecutor. My introduction to law came at our dinner table when she practiced her closing arguments. Her trademark line was, use your common sense. What rings true, what rings false? That's good advice for a juror and for a son.
2: So that to me was a really special moment in the proceedings last night when when he took the microphone, I thought he might talk about the law or he might talk about his wife and children. And I'm, I'm you know, there, there were other moments. But to me, that one stood out. The story of how his mother was a teacher teaching in inner city schools and really, you know, pouring out her heart for those kids. And then she decided to get a law degree. And so that's kind of an interesting pathway to judgeship where she then adjudicated cases Uh, interesting that she would practice her arguments at the table to her family, and that he was an only child. So those are things that I thought were really important for him to share and give us a peek into um, his, his historical background. But what most people are interested in are some of the facts about him as it pertains to issues that I specifically, I care about deeply religion, life, conscience, and there's already some articles up and we'll, we'll do both. I'm I'm not going to be, uh, we put out a press release release from project 21 where we talked about our first top line reactions to the announcement that it's judge Brett Kavanaugh and that's wonderful, but now we have to kind of delve into his historical background and CNS news is coming out swinging with some. Uh, kind of criticism about some of his rulings, so we'll get into that. But I first want to go over uh, some information that was sent over by the White House, and it's some just just uh, it's a way for us to kind of open into their reasoning, their methodology for selecting him to be the nominee. So Judge Kavanaugh uh, has defended in his 300 court opinions. Um, that he's authored, Americans' Right to Practice Their Faith Without Government Intrusion, Respecting the Government's Interests in Protecting Life and Not Facilitating Abortion, and he's a devoted Christian who lives his faith through his dedication to public service. He has refused to banish religion in the public square in a number of cases, including New Dow v. Roberts, in which he upheld opening prayer and invocation of God at government ceremonies. He suggested that stripping government ceremonies of any references to God or religious expression would in effect establish atheism. I have to applaud him for that, for for and, and not just taking that position, but putting it into an opinion where it could become precedent, where others could read it and consider and turn over in their mind the implications of what we've already allowed to happen in this country, which is the removal of God from public life. Uh, so very important that he has that under his belt. That argument in Archdiocese of Washington v. W.M.A.T.A. He called DC Metro's ban on religious advertising, including Christmas ads, pure discrimination and odious to the First Amendment. The Washington Post called his question uh, questioning unrelenting. That case remains pending, so we don't know what the actual uh, finality on that will be. Well, I'll definitely try to keep up with that and and update you as uh, as it moves through. In upholding conscience rights, Judge Kavanaugh in Priests for Life versus HHS voted to block the Obama administration from forcing religious entities to violate their consciences and be complicit in providing contraceptive and abortifacient coverage to their employees. He argued that it is crystal clear that when the government forces someone to take an action, contrary to his or her sincere religious belief, the government has substantially burdened the individual's exercise of religion. Hear, hear to that. He also backs the government's interest in protecting the unborn while respecting precedent and this is where the rubber meets the road because he is one that they feel um, a couple of the different. So a couple of the the senators Murkowski and uh, Connors, or the the two pro abortion senators who are also Republicans, those two are going to be the the kind of the if you call them swing votes or deciding factors. We can count on a couple of red state Democrats to peel away because they want to keep their seats. We have to be kind of worried about those two. And I believe that's why the president chose uh, Judge Kavanaugh, because we're looking at someone who is actually going to be able to say that he respects precedent. I already heard uh, some of the precursor to this. So last night before the announcement, I tuned into C SPAN about a half an hour early. And they had different senators taking the podium and addressing the body uh, about this SCOTUS nomination. And a few of them made a point to delineate that someone's opinions on a precedent from decades before or even a few years before could change. But if they respect precedent, that. That's all that you can go on if they have shown a a concerted effort to respect precedents in the past, but that that same individual could change their minds or their opinions on any number of issues and rule differently at a later point in time. So these tests where they say, would you ever rule against, say, Roe v. Wade or would you ever vote to strike it down? Don't hold any merit because you can't ask someone what they would do in a case that they have never seen and haven't had the opportunity to review and, and, you know, understand the facts and et cetera, et cetera. I think that's pretty interesting. In my mind, that tells me that while he may have respected precedent in the past and still does, it's on a case by case basis and I personally, you know, obviously not a lawyer. Don't play one on TV. I love saying that because it, it's so it, it's so true, but it also doesn't mean that I can't have opinions on exactly what the law should look like. And I, I'm, I can't state strongly enough how often the Supreme Court has been wrong. The Supreme Court upheld the non-personhood of black people. And then went on to reverse itself and rule that not only are blacks people, but that we have the right to vote and we have the right to equality in, in society. So reversal on Roe v. Wade wouldn't be unprecedented and it wouldn't be an issue of the Supreme Court. It's never been wrong up to this point. Now someone's asserting that they're wrong. The Supreme Court has been wrong. They will probably be wrong again. They've been wrong recently. Obergefell is, is the uh, poster case for that and so the idea that that the democrats are going to be able to stop what is a steamroll in this country right now which is the pro life movement it's ridiculous and I, I just don't i don't agree with it in fact this morning i was listening to another nationally syndicated radio host just uh before uh you know getting getting ready to go out and do some things and as i was listening uh it occurred to me because they had on a, a host uh jeffrey Tubin from cnn He's a regular over there. I think he's a contributor and he's an analyst and he goes on all of the programs. And Jeffrey Toobin stated unequivocally, repeatedly on the program that, uh, you know, Americans overwhelmingly oppose overturning Roe v. Wade. That is not true. That is actually a falsehood that is promoted by people on the left who want to maintain abortion. The most pro-life generation in the history of this country since the passage of Roe v. Wade in 1973 are the millennials. They may be l- liberal on so many do- other uh, social issues, but on the pro-life issue, they are absolutely much more pro-life than their parents were, and than their grandparents were. So the this is a this is a falsehood, and we can't accept it. Uh, so back to Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, just a couple of more things here, and then we'll do in the next segment what we'll do is we'll get into uh, a little bit of the kind of the cons we're on the pros right now um judge Kavanaugh is a product of catholic schools he is a reader at his local catholic parish he coaches cyo catholic youth organization basketball judge cavanaugh serves meals as part of the catholic charity saint maria's meals program he tutors at a local elementary school and is, and is on the board of the washington jesuit academy so a few other cases where he's ruled to respect uh, life and religious liberty and serve God and his neighbor. Um, but he sounds like he's a pretty good pick. We'll look we'll into the cons in the next segment. You just keep it here. We'll be right back with more Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
0: Hi, this is Steve Tiber with Eight Days of Hope. We've seen God open up so many doors for us to help serve and love those who get affected by a natural disaster.
3: As the trees and the wind started crashing down around us, my wife was, of course, very diligently praying, you know, Lord, please be with us.
0: Very simply, we do it because God commands us to love others.
4: I see these volunteers
1: all as... A gift from God. And I'm just grateful to here, you know, helping out it's a blessing.
0: If you're interested in becoming a part of what God's doing through 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com, click on Get Involved, submit your email address. I've noticed that whenever there's a time in my life when I'm, things might be a little gloomy, the number one
1: thing that I can do is to go serve somebody. And I would encourage anyone else to, uh, it's worth it. Come out and do it next time if you didn't make it to this one. and. Um, The Father will really bless you in it. Thank
0: you so much for your prayers and volunteering with Eight Days of Hope.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I'm reading through the Old Testament now, and I'm coming to places that are named that I see on our Israel tour every March. It's really fascinating to think that Jericho existed way back in the Old Testament thousands of years ago and... I can visit there today the same can be said for jerusalem the bible literally comes to life when you visit israel the holy land now we're going in march my wife allison and i we lead these tours every march so if you would like to go with us you need to go to the website and check it out it's twholyland.com twholyland.com if you want a brochure sent to your mailbox just call us at 800 families Option 5, that's 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and we'll send you a brochure.
5: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Ian Hersey Alley begins her commentary with these words, I was a Muslim refugee once, I know what it's like. She was en route to Canada to consummate a marriage arranged against her will by her father. At the Frankfurt airport, she fled to the Netherlands. There, she learned Dutch and received a master's degree in political science before coming to America. Now, she has worked as an interpreter for abused Muslim women and also understands the Muslim refugee experience. And in the course of working with Muslim communities, she has found four different types of Muslim immigrant adapters, menaces, coasters and fanatics. Many Muslim immigrants have adapted over time by adopting the core values of Western democracies. These Muslims have become great U.S. citizens and are the type of people we want to welcome to our country. Now, the second group are mostly young men who she says are menaces in their homes and outside in public. They've been subjected to domestic violence and go on to commit it themselves. Coasters are a third group of Muslim immigrants. They usually have little or no formal education and will thankfully accept welfare and live off it and also invite their families from abroad to join them on the welfare rolls. Finally, there are the fanatics, those use the freedom of the countries that gave them sanctuary to spread an uncompromising practice of Islam. These immigrants are certainly the group we want to keep out of America. Her analysis of Muslim immigrants is necessary for our discussion of immigration. We cannot just assume that all Muslim immigrants were perfectly adapted to the American culture and adopt Western values, nor should we assume that all Muslims are fanatics. We need to find a way to welcome adapters, but also exclude those who won't contribute to this country. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my Point of View. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores.
0: Welcome back to Spacey on the Right
3: sexist a disaster for women totally unacceptable these are just a few of the ad hominem attacks the far-left special interest groups hurled at a federal circuit court judge whom a republican president nominated to the supreme court the name of the federal judge anthony kennedy After President Reagan nominated then-Judge Kennedy to the court in 1987, these far-left special interest groups impinged his character. They cooked up apocalyptic warnings about all the terrible things, terrible things that would happen to Americans if he were confirmed to the court. Of course, the American people didn't buy it. And a majority of senators saw through the hyperbole and hysteria and confirmed that qualified nominee. And believe it or not, Mr. President, the sky didn't fall. Didn't fall. But decades later, our Democratic colleagues still haven't tired of crying wolf whenever a Republican president nominates anyone, anyone to the Supreme Court. We've seen the same movie time after time after time.
2: Whoa, so that was a smoking hot Mitch McConnell. And I mean, smoking hot as in angry, totally angry about the rhetoric that has been hurled at the nominee before the actual nominee was announced. And this was on C-SPAN. He was addressing the Senate just before. I mean, we're literally talking about maybe 15 minutes before the president entered the room. Melania walked in first and was seated and then uh, the the others uh, preceding the president. And he took the podium and he began to speak about who he planned to announce and the process. And so you've got Mitch McConnell and he's really just kind of, uh, he's not all, uh, only annoyed, he's also amused by the ridiculousness of it all. Because I guess, you know, what else can you do but laugh when the invective being hurled is irrespective of the person who was chosen. In other words, there is no good person on the list of 25 from the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society. And I beg to differ with that. I think one of the things that has happened over and over again with the Senate when the Democrats were in control on both of the nominees for the Supreme Court under President Obama Kagan and Sotomayor were offered the opportunity to present their ideas. They were rigorously questioned, but they did not have the same types of scurrilous attacks hurled at them before they were nominated and then after so it's it's a different ball game, I guess. Um, maybe the Democrats have heard Chris Matthews's you know rancid cry into the night about how no one should be confirmed, and they're going with that. It's not a winning strategy, but there it is. So here's McConnell. Mocking the left's rhetoric against the Supreme Court pick, he says it's hard to keep a straight face.
3: Tonight, President Trump will announce his nominee to fill the current Supreme Court vacancy. We don't know who he will name, but we already know exactly what unfair tactics the nominee will face. They won't be new and they won't be warranted. We can expect to hear how they'll destroy equal rights or demolish American health care or ruin our country in some other fictional way. Justice Kennedy's resignation letter had barely arrived in the president's hands before several of our Democratic colleagues began declaring their blanket opposition to anyone at all, anyone, that the president might name. One Democratic senator stated she would resist any attempt to confirm any nominee this year, quote, putting forward. Doesn't matter who. Earlier today, just today, another Democratic senator issued a press release declaring preemptively that he plans to oppose whomever the president nominates tonight, no matter who they are. Another of our Democratic colleagues offered this assessment. We're looking at the destruction of the Constitution of the United States, as far as I can tell. It's hard to keep a straight face when you hear stuff like that. There's not even a nominee yet. Justice Kennedy just announced his retirement, and they're talking about the destruction of the Constitution? Please, give the American people some credit.
2: <laughs> so he rarely gets that um saucy, if you will. Uh he's really kind of a laid-back individual, but he was mixing it up there pretty hard. And um it it's 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 the truth. It's hard to take this rhetoric seriously. Now, what I can take seriously is some opposition that has come out immediately to the uh you know announcement that Judge Brett Kavanaugh is the nominee for the Supreme Court vacancy. And one of the most urgent to consider requests comes from American Family Association. Um, The action alert from AFA is concerning Judge Brett Kavanaugh's written opinions on uh, a number of issues that demonstrate a deficiency in constitutional judicial philosophy of a limited judiciary. Some of the decisions have been favorable, but several of the opinions about those decisions contain problematic language. Now, what I'm doing here is, as I just shared, I shared some of the top-line items that were positive about Judge Brett Kavanaugh, and now I'm sharing some of the opposition to him being the nominee. What I seek to do here is to inform you and and to be a- as open as possible because where else are you going to get that? You're going to get that here on AFR and on Urban Family Talk. You're going to get that from the hosts here. A lot of the media are painting... The entire process as something demonic straight out of, you know, a a Hitchcock horror movie. And then you're gonna have others who are going to present only the flowery language. I came out in support of the actual nomination for Project 21, but I also read a lot about Judge Brett Kavanaugh, specifically afterwards, a lot beforehand, but a lot afterwards. And so this now moves into Advice and consent where you actually vet the nominee and figure out if he's the right guy. So what American Family Radio is saying in their action alert is that there are a few cases where his opinions were not not what we're looking for, for a a long term appointment to the Supreme Court. It's a life appointment. So. This is uh, the case that they're speaking about Is priests for life as a result of Obamacare faith based organization Priest for life and others argue that the government could not compel or force them to provide contraception and abortion causing drugs for their employees. Judge Kavanaugh unnecessarily conceded in his opinion that the government has a compelling interest to force religious organizations to provide contraceptions and abortifacients for employees. Um, the concession created a dangerous precedent. There are also concerns with his opinion related to the illegal alien female minor expecting who she crossed the border illegally at the age of 17. She was pregnant and then she wanted an abortion in his writings. He basically gave the same kind of constitutional right that was established by Roe v. Wade for citizens to have an abortion to people who are not citizens of this country. And that's very problematic. He additionally provided, and it's been argued that he provided the roadmap to uphold the Obama administration's health care overreach at the Supreme Court. Judge Kavanaugh said to have provided the legal argument for Chief Justice Roberts to save Obamacare by calling them the uh, mandatory insurance attacks. Wow, so these are these are not these are not pluses. This does not you know sweeten the pot here. Judge Kavanaugh's reasoning on religious liberty, Obamacare, and issues concerning life have proven to be a major concern, and for these reasons and more, AFA urges listeners to contact their senators to firmly oppose the nomination. Um, so that's tough, that's, that's, but that's straight from American Family Radio, and we need to be informed, we need to read more, we need to understand exactly what all of this is about. Um, so that takes me over to CNS News. Now, I love reading articles over at CNS News. They have a fantastic staff of of reporters and writers over there. And they often not only break news, but provide the deep background that's needed for a number of things that, you know, we would want to um, uh, be informed about. And so this is no different. They have a lengthy piece, which what I'll do is I'll just give you the top lines here about Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit Court by George W. Bush, he actually declined to rule against Obamacare's individual mandate when it came before his court in 2011 and argued that the case could not be decided by a federal court until at least 2015 because of the Anti-Injunction Act. Now, the entire Supreme Court, including Justice Antonin Scalia, Samuel Alito, and Clarence Thomas, would later join in opinions that... um in the Obamacare case, that rejected the argument Kavanaugh embraced that the Anti-Injunction Act prevented a pre-2015 ruling on the mandate. Kavanaugh insisted at the beginning of his 2011 appeals court opinion that he was not deciding the merits of Obamacare's individual mandate, but that he did offer a suggestion towards the end of his opinion for how Congress could fix what he called the mandate's alleged constitutional shortcoming and make it clearly constitutional in his view under the Taxing Clause. So, he used an excerpt uh, in, from an opinion in Seven Sky versus Holder, arguing that what he perceived to be the only potential constitutional shortcoming in Obamacare's individual mandate was relatively slight. So, this is not, I'm just, hey, you know, we're going over all of the information here. I can't get behind that. If he was willing to provide a roadmap to make sure that Obamacare was constitutional, What else might he be willing to stretch or mold or kind of create in order to make something that's slightly unconstitutional constitutional? It is not his job as a judge to create mechanisms by which things that are unconstitutional can be made constitutional. So, you know, that's a definite blow against him, in my opinion. Part of the the craziness about the way this process works out is that you have these so-called front runners, And so you start reading up about the frontrunners, and then some frontrunners drop out and others jump in. And this is where the American public gets left behind because you don't have anyone on CNN or MSNBC or the major news organizations talking about the merits of these individual justice, justices and their potential. They're talking about how they don't like this about them. They don't like that about them. They seem to be obsessed with how many children Amy Coney Barrett had. One thing that's interesting about this is that he didn't choose her and she she did not have these deficiencies. She didn't have as many written opinions under her belt, true, but she didn't have the deficiencies that are clearly evident here with um, Judge Kavanaugh. So it's interesting to see this article up. Um, that's, that's, that's not good, not good at all. Um, I also saw a kind of a matrix that was created by one of the think tanks on how conservative some of the justices are. And it was like a continuum of conservatism, if you will, where I guess they were trying to show, look, you've got this one, you've got that one, um, and here's the most conservative. And in their estimation, the most conservative justice on the court is Clarence Thomas, in their estimation, the most liberal, well, who cares who the most liberal were? There were two liberal ones. And they put um, Justice Kagan kind of in the middle of the continuum, moving towards moderation, which is at the halfway point. And then above that, going up, is, is moving towards conservatism. They put Justice Kavanaugh right underneath um, Justice Clarence, Clarence Thomas, meaning that he's more conservative than Justice Roberts. But if you look at that Obamacare opinion, I'm not so sure. Like, is that, is that accurate? Does that sound accurate if he's finding and creating mechanisms by which to make Obamacare's individual mandate constitutional? How can he be more conservative than Justice Roberts um, and even Justice Gorsuch? Justice Gorsuch was not the most conservative. Um, he wasn't even the second most conservative. So we'll see how that pans out. We've we've we have time. The good news is nothing is finalized yet. If the Senate was to decide not to confirm Justice Kavanaugh, or if they were to make it clear that they weren't going to confirm him, uh, that would be kind of groundbreaking, and it would be pretty upsetting for the president and his team. I think, but it would be instructive because it would mean that many of the concerns that um, that people have about the, the process and the Senate not being conservative enough, the Republicans in the Senate, that those concerns would be unwarranted. I think there's a lot of pressure on them to confirm whoever he chooses. Um, but I, again, the wrong nominee provides an opportunity for not just schisms within the actual uh, conference. But with the American people, it's a distraction where the, not only are you listening to the Democrats wailing about how horrible this person is, but then you have people on the right wailing about it. So I found that that graphic. It's So they have the little bubble next to each of the nominees who was nominated by uh, either a GOP president or a Democrat. So Trump's nominee is Kavanaugh. He's up at the very top, right under Justice Thomas, who was nominated by a Republican. You have Gorsuch, which was the first Trump nominee. He's the next on the continuum. So it's Thomas Kavanaugh, who's a nominee and then Gorsuch. And then under Gorsuch, meaning he's more liberal is Alito, more liberal than Alito is Roberts. And then you have Kennedy who was nominated to the court by a Republican, but is below the zero line, meaning he's on the liberal end. Then you have Breyer and Kagan right next to each other, halfway down the liberal scale, and at the very bottom, you have Sotomayor and Ginsburg, who are the most liberal. It's an interesting diagram. Um, I guess, in my mind, we have this track record as Republicans of nominating people who end up not being conservative. They end up not being the people that we hoped they would be. The Democrats don't have that problem. The people that they nominate are always reliably liberal and ridiculously so. All right, head over to Stacyonthewright.com, Hit the subscribe button. I'm Stacey On The Right on Twitter and Instagram as well. You can go to Urban Family Talk and sign up for our conference, which is the Marriage and Family Conference, August 17th and 18th. I'm going to be there. So many other hosts are going to be there. We're going to have a wonderful time. We want to see you there too. Get on there and register. Meet us in two below. We'll be back with more right after these messages.
4: I had a conversation with my daughter about making mistakes and not getting this Christian walk right. I had to explain to her that none of us are perfect, but we are all striving for perfection. Then I was listening to a song by 10th Avenue North called You Are More. The song really explained what I shared with her and reminded me that the enemy would like nothing more than to use the mistakes and things you've gotten wrong against you. But because of Christ, you are more than your mistakes. You are more and bigger than your fears. You are so much more than the choices you've made. And God's love for you never wanes. It never decreases. It never ceases to exist. Today, no matter what you've done or how bad you think it is, repent and rest in the forgiveness and love of the Father. Extend to yourself the same passion and grace that the Father extends with a heart for the urban family. I'm today's urban woman, Toni Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com
1: I'm David it took a drunker fighting and losing a sight in one eye for me to see that alcohol is wrecking my life and at Teen Childs, I found the tools to leave that lifestyle behind me for good if you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction Teen Challenge can help Call us today
5: at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com This is Urban Family Talk
2: Coming next week on The Dwelling Place Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is That's next week on The Dwelling Place.
4: I'm not so certain we have as much time as many of us think. It's high time for the body of Christ to return with a fire lit up under us to proclaiming the truth of God's Word, to proclaim the truth of sin and repentance and not coming from a high, lofty position, but telling the truth as such were some of us. We have to do that, we have to. But what happens is, and I I call this first world problem, uh, we have this epidemic of churchianity in America to where we are far more accepted and far more willing to embrace the trappings of church life, even if they're void of the presence and power and fire of Christ. And I would say to you, just that the Bible says, that we can have a form of godliness while simultaneously, at the exact same time, deny the very power of the gospel. Of the gospel,
0: of the gospel. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 central on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right values questions against the politics of the game here is playing it is a game he's setting up here by doing this
4: so the politics are really clear you have to be able to um get to a majority of votes against the nominee and your only way you're going to get to that is if you peel off if you peel off the republican senators who declined wisely i think the white house's nomination tonight i will be stunned if it's one of the two folks kavanaugh or um, hardiman if they end up voting against them if that is true why would democrats um in uh those red states sort of go on the suicide political suicide mission why would um chuck schumer the leader want them to go on the suicide mission pay attention I'll give you a to your prospects i give you a reason pay attention to your prospects for um, ocasio
0: cortez because the leadership is going to be trashed if they let this go by them.
4: Well, they they can trash it, but they need to worry about trying to claw back as close to a majority as possible. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, on the, on the substance, so I So
0: you have, argue that it, it, it's, it's the best side of whatever, discretion is the best form of power. In other words, decide now. You're not going to win this fight. Don't. So just try it's to, to the win the Senate. <laughs> Do the math. You know, Justice Brennan, used are you to say the math. You're a voter.
2: <laughs> so he doesn't even let the guests finish what they have to say. He's got to make sure people are as upset and as riled up as possible because, you know, <laughs> resist. He even brings up Ocasio-Cortez as a good reason for them to can- continue their craziness. I-, I tell you what, Chris Matthews, is he's something else. He's, he's really, he's an example of someone who is just, he's gone a bit too far. just It's just too much. Welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. AFA.net is a website you can go to. And also you can go to urbanfamilytalk.com. Uh so I want to obviously we can highlight, you know, we can always talk about violence on the left. And, you know, there there's always going to be some person who takes things too far, but is it too far? Is that verifiable if someone actually feels threatened, if people feel as if they can't um, they can't be in the same space as protesters? So the reason I'm asking that question is because there's a big breaking story this morning. Fox News anchor Shannon Bream had a sudden change of plans on the night of President Trump's historic announcement. So last night, earlier in the evening, the president nominated D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals Justice uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And then after the primetime reveal, Bream had planned on her show being live from outside the steps of the Supreme Court, but she had to scuttle her plans thanks to protests near her broadcast location. She actually went on to Twitter to describe what was going on. Few, she says in her tweets, very few times I felt threatened while left out in the field The mood here tonight is very volatile. Law enforcement appears to be closing down First Street in front of the Supreme Court. She followed up that tweet with another. She said, literally had to bail on our live show from the Supreme Court, moving the show back to the safety of the studio. See y'all at 11 p.m. Now, her show airs at 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox. And if you've seen any of the stand-ups, what they're like, it's not like it's cordoned off or there's like a safety area. It's just the host, the cameraman, somebody with a boom. Uh, there might be a makeup person there as well. And they're, they're doing, uh, what they're doing is, uh, they're out there basically with their back to the crowd. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, So if you're a reporter, if you're a TV host, if you're a broadcaster, that's what they're used to doing. So that's not scary or volatile. It's just something that you're aware of because people like to walk by and make a uh, a face. They like to wave. Sometimes they like to hold up a sign or say, hi, mom. But the Ferguson protests here in, in the St. Louis area, I think were kind of a turning point for modern protesters to feel as if that kind of invisible bubble around a reporter who has a camera that doing a live broadcast, that they could kind of bump into that. And uh, I, I just, I think one of the things that is so bothersome about that is, when again, we go back to norms, and, and we have discussed it on the show, and I think it's something that needs to be a continuing thread for us here. When we change established norms, it kind of unleashes a sense of freedom for people to venture into territory that was once unthinkable. And so in some ways destroying norms can be great. Uh, you know, look at some of the strides that have been made in medicine and science and even in uh, our workplaces across the country when we've kind of blown through norms that were restrictive or or were preventing people from being creative. But in societal norms, what is normal behavior? What is acceptable, when we push those norms past their boundaries, then behavior becomes unacceptable. And then that unacceptable behavior becomes the new norm. So it used to be unthinkable that someone would threaten or be aggressive towards someone else on television, because first of all, it's on television. You don't want to be seen in that light. Secondly, it was not normal because you felt a prohibition against it, an internal, this is wrong, this isn't something that I would do. Now, criminals would do that, but not normal people. When we move the bar and make behavior that would be normally considered criminal normal, well, I'm protesting, I'm resisting, I have the right to threaten, I have the right to be violent, I have to rise up, I have to put a stop to this, I have to make this person listen. Then, now that's the norm. Well, that means people who are crazy, mentally ill, or otherwise evil, those individuals are going to feel their previous crazy behavior isn't crazy enough. So on that continuum of things, you get a situation where Shannon Bream, who has been in much more volatile situations and broadcast, didn't feel safe broadcasting from the Supreme Court steps uh, in America, right in Washington, D.C., with a bunch of Americans around her. It was so, you know, it wasn't a war protest. It wasn't anything where you would think, oh, you know, it might get a might get a little mixed up. It wasn't a, a racially motivated protest. It was just, hey, we don't like your Supreme Court nominee, but their behavior was unacceptable. So, uh, I thought that was an interesting, just you know, breaking news from last night. Um, so. People are already calling Justice Kavanaugh by his first name, Justice Brett, and everyone's uh, really, 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 really got an opinion about whether or not he should be there. I'm interested to see what the Republicans do now. Uh, I I think strategically speaking, this probably looked great on paper. And I also think we have to keep in mind that there isn't one person on that uh, list of 25 that wouldn't have something that we could find to disagree with. The question is, is it going to be enough to have the Senate move against, uh, you know, confirming Justice Kavanaugh? We don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Um, so I want to turn over to a little bit of information about TV. And this is interesting because this is our kids. This is the so if you're like me and you have teen kids, um, I've watched how their television habits are so much different than Mine were when I was their age, obviously before smartphones when I was a kid, and then for my husband and myself, who we still primarily view content on television when we are watching something, so we, we will put it on the television, where the kids don't bother with that. They put it on their tablet, and they go from show to show, and it's usually YouTube-based or it's app-based. And that switch is not just something that's happening at Shea Washington. It's happening all over the country where young people don't feel the need to go to a place where a large television is sitting and watch TV in that room, in that space, wherever the television is located. They feel, rightly so, with their apps and things, that they have televisions in their pockets in the form of their phones. So this story is uh, about the... Power season five debut viewership. Apparently, there's an app called Stars, and the Stars app is peeling off viewership from Steady TV. So you've got uh, the season five premiere of Power surging on smaller screens much more than before. So it's uh, uh, it's a television show in which Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson uh, is the star. It's a drama. Um, and for 18 to 49-year-olds, the sets of eyeballs that actually watched it on a television took a serious dip. Viewership on this app actually increased exponentially. Um, in fact, they took a 25% hit from the debut in 2017 on screens, on regular television screens. Um but the stars app, the stars app for television, which you so you watch the shows on your phone via this app, had 2.8 million streams. Uh, wow, 2.8 million streams. That's that's huge, um, and so the, it looks like the app growth continued from the July 1st season five opener well into the July 4th holiday and beyond last week with 84% more customer ads than were experienced in 2017. So, uh, it looks like it's not just cord cutting as far as cable is concerned. It's that younger people just don't feel the need to watch television on screens any larger than their phones, tablets, Uh, and and laptops, anything they can get an app onto. This is going to be a game changer for the way that the next generation that is coming up, especially the ones who they they really don't remember. A lot of kids growing up now are familiar with DVRs, obviously, because they still have a lot of those in homes, especially through cable. Um, But a, a lot of families, especially those who don't have traditional telephone lines, are also going to be a part of this kind of revolutionary movement that really isn't connected to. It's like you you can watch a TV show while you're in a waiting room uh, at the doctor's office. You, you don't have to be at your television at 7 p.m. when the show comes on. And that's what this continued growth in viewers over the July 4th weekend proves, that people didn't feel like it was appointment viewing. They didn't show up for the premiere and watch it on the app because they knew when I need to watch this when i have time and prefer to watch it i can watch it on the app and so over the course of the july 4th week and weekend they then watch the premiere at their own leisure so appointment television viewing is quickly going the way of uh, you know regular landlines it's fascinating and uh, I, I think we'll see even more It's those television networks that capitalize on apps and putting their programming on the apps first instead of the 24-hour delay that currently is the norm. They're going to be the ones to see uh, loyal viewers come online and really be tied to their app for their television viewing. I'm just predicting that straight off the bat. So there's... uh, Also big news in the homeownership front. And I thought this was pretty fascinating because if you, if you own a home, one of the things that you like to do is, you know, er, periodically every couple of years, I, I look at the housing market and I'm like, Oh, I wonder what the per square foot price of housing is in our zip code in our, you know, the specific part of the County that we live in. And it's always neat to see that number going up. CNBC is reporting that homeowners in America, uh, All around, are sitting on a record amount of cash at $5.8 trillion and are not tapping it. And that's the part of the story that's really interesting. The collective amount of so-called tappable equity, which is the appraised value of a home minus the 20% most lenders require borrowers to keep as a safety net, grew by 7% in the first quarter of this year compared with the previous quarter, according to Black Knight, a mortgage software and analytics company. So that's the largest single quarter growth since the company started tracking that stuff in 2005. It's up 16.5% compared with a year ago. So it's not just that there's all of this equity in the homes, it's that people aren't borrowing it. So people don't feel compelled to borrow that money. They're leaving it there almost like money in the bank. And I think that's indicative of the experience so many homeowners and families had watching some of their neighbors lose their homes during the housing bubbles and uh, the the crisis economic crises that we've been through under the Obama administration. And what's so interesting about that is that sometimes people will tap into their home equity because there's a lot there, and they want to, you know, get something done to their home or pay off some bills or something like that. And what this shows is that people are saying, I'll find other ways to get that done. Uh, Homeowners now have a collective $5.8 trillion in tappable equity, the highest volume ever recorded, 16% above the last home price peak, which happened in 2006. The average homeowner with a mortgage gained $14,700 in tappable equity over the past year and has $113,900 available to draw off of. This is the amount over and above 20% of the value of the average home. Not bad. So the question is, will the banks create mechanisms by which people can tap this money without paying exorbitant interest rates? We'll see, won't we? All right. That's this segment's first hour, actually. We'll be back with more right after these important messages from onenewsnow.com. Keep it here.